Welcome back to the Pot of Greed. I'm Alec. I'm Paul. And this week we have uh, another new set that we're trying out. Yeah, we're doing something different. This will help us bounce off of each other. And, yeah, facilitate um, better conversation. We're sitting across the table. That's right, where I can look directly into your eyes. You Don't look away. Wait. Oh, yeah, that's uh, stay locked in just like this the whole pod. Okay. Um, Don't, hey, 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 what I say? But I got to look at them. I'm fine. Uh, so, Yu Gi Oh! news for the week. There isn't much, like, not really. But it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of small stories, we'll just, I guess, go through them kind of quick. I think big thing, uh, Master Duel got its new band list in rotation. Okay, all right. Relax, Master Duelist. Let's start with the TCG, like a proper Yu-Gi-Oh! channel. Okay, well, Jeez. um... Let's see, so what's what's TCG news? So, we're getting a new set next week. Mm-hmm. It's called... I forgot. New set, Age of Overlord. Age of Overlord. Yeah, that's being released. Well, this week is the sneak peek, so I guess mm-hmm. by the time most people are listening to this... Um, it will be like basically tomorrow. I'm going to see if our local card shop is doing anything for it. I don't know that they are. You're, you're going to play it. If they are, yeah, I'd like to, but I don't know that they are. Um, interesting set. I mean, we talked about it a lot last week, so there's probably not like loads new to but say. We can go ahead and go card for card. <clears throat> yeah, we just take the whole thing out. Starting and, uh, off with the what a quarter centuries. No, no, we're not doing that. Uh, any, I mean, any new developments on Age of Overlord? I know that the those two warrior guys, uh, Ken and uh, oh, yeah. Gen, Ken and Gen. Yeah, they are. They've the been getting a little bit tactics of tactics guys. Yeah, they're they're actually the monsters featured on Triple Tactics Talents and Thrust. Mm. I found out. So yeah, their effects are pretty neat. The way that they basically work is um, either one of them can summon the other one. From hand or deck straight to the opponent's field. Or deck. Wonderful. Yeah, it's always fun. So they summon to the opponent's field, and um, once they are special summoned onto the opponent's field, they will have a sort of, I guess what will be considered a detrimental effect. Either making the person discard a card or letting their opponent draw two and discard one. Their opponent, in this case, being you, the person who summoned it to their field. So you can see how it's, it's very... Uh, it, it can be a little bit disruptive. And, and then you activate your triple tactics. Correct, yeah. Because since you summoned it to your opponent's field and then it activated on their field, your opponent was the one who activated a monster effect. So now your triple tactics cards are live. And there's definitely some real fear of uh, what these cards you know, will be doing. And I won't be ranting about how much I hate them, even though I do. Yeah. But I won't do it this time. Well, I mean, do you not... I hate them so much. Don't even get me started. Okay, check it out, guys. So, is nothing sacred in Yu-Gi-Oh? It's bad enough our turns aren't our turns. But are our boards not our boards? Yeah. Our opponent can play on our boards just as well as they can play on their own now? Well, I'll say this in their defense. So, there have been cards in Yu-Gi-Oh that have, like, you know, summons the opponent's side of the field. They usually had really awful effects. That's true. Santa Claus is a great example of that. Yeah, there have always been older ones that have. Kaijus at least required your opponent to have something. Yeah, I do think that the whole kind of like basically forcing your opponent to have activated something is like a little funky. But on the other hand, I do think that this is like not an engine that's perfect. Because you do have to kind of run these, and they'll effectively take up your normal summon. So if you're a deck that like needs its normal summon, then these aren't. You know, they're going to be kind of conflicting with that. And it's also just it's an engine that you kind of have to commit to. It's like at least four monster cards, and then 
your triple tactics cards. Like, so what you're telling me is Yu-Gi-Oh players might have to run bricks to completely violate their opponents. That's a less charitable way to put it, but and they'll do it. They will do yeah, it. They they'll will do, do it. it. They'll do it. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't stand Konami just printing cards that trample all over the basic fundamentals of this game. Yeah, Alec is not a fan of them, if you guys can't tell. I hate them. I mean, I would say that it's something along the lines of, like, these could be either extremely disruptive to kind of Yu-Gi-Oh! as we know it, or they might just get ignored. They might just be bad. Something that I was actually saying, and I might have mentioned it before, is just that I think that these cards in a slower sort of uh, game that's generally a little bit slower might not even be seen as nearly so bad it's more so the idea that like you will probably summon these and then continue to combo. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of where it gets a little scary. But um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's Konami knew what they were doing in this case. Like these are the cards are referenced in the triple tactics card. So they intended for this to happen. Whatever happens that is. And then guys, this isn't just locked around like triple tactics. What about any card that's ever been printed in this game where its only limiting factor was that your opponent had to control a card, so they were bad going first. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Uh, well, I think other than that, though, I mean, there hasn't been a lot else to say. We got the reveals of the Tistina cards, the rest of them, because that's like yeah. a TCG exclusive thing. Oh, there hmm. is a bright light in the set that counteracts my hate of these cards. Okay. Dark Hole Dragon. Oh, that's like an import or something? I don't know if it's an import or what. I love this card. Dark Hole Dragon, I think it's an Ultra in the set. It's either mm-hmm. an Ultra or a Super. Regardless, so check this out. So Dark Hole Dragon, if a monster gets destroyed by a non-targeting effect, it can special summon itself out the grave. Yeah, okay. It can also search Dark Hole. Mm-hmm. And it itself can't be destroyed by card effects. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, there's something fun. I, I do actually like that they've been doing a little bit more of, like, just these, like, because no one's probably going to be playing it. But I think that if you I want will. to play something that's, like, really off the wall, they are still giving that at least. So like, It reminds me of the uh, Mirror Force launcher and uh Yeah, just support for, like, just... weird old staples. <laughs> I'm gonna make I don't a deck. hate it. I'm going to make a deck of nothing but cards that support old staples. Do you remember cards like... uh? Was it Griffin's Wing or whatever? The, the anti Harpy's Feather Duster card? That's very specific. It's like called Griffin's Wing. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, a trap. The card. And so whenever your opponent like uses Harpy Harpy's Feather Duster, you specifically flip this and then it destroys your opponent's spells and traps instead. And it's so like it clearly, you know, like there's no realistic time that you can expect this to work. No. But man, would it make a cool anime moment. There's also White Hole. If you remember that. No, we don't talk about White Hole. Yeah, White Hole, the opposite of Dark Hole, which I think spares your monsters, but still destroys your opponents. So, you know. That's horrible. Yeah, there's also Dark Mirror Force, but that's not actually anti-Mirror Force. I think that one's just, like, it destroys set cards, I think. it destroys set cards, something like that. Yeah, it's... So not good. It's a little bit, mm -mm. a little more weird. Um, But I think that's pretty much it. I mean, Age of Overlord's coming out. It should be cool. Um, did a video with Trell uh, where he was kind of talking a little bit more about it. I think it's something that he's a little more excited for. Oh, yeah. Now I can talk about Master Duel. Now you saw you saw his eyes light up. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, actually, uh, I say that, but I have not been playing as much Master Duel lately. A Rise Heart and uh, Friends, 
just came to the game, so we just got a new set. It's got Arise Heart, Kashtira Theosis, um, Pressured Planet Rate Soth, and also um, Rescue Ace are introduced mm-hmm. to the game. Now, I was a little bit sad because I wanted to play Rescue Ace myself, but they don't have all of their cards included in this first wave. There's two new cards that came out in Duelist Nexus, so of course Master Duel is missing those cards. Because they don't have any cards from Duelist Nexus in Master Duel, right? Yeah, they don't. Okay. Or I don't believe so. There might be like stray kind of cars that showed up and like that red eyes monster that was in duelist nexus is like in master duel oh yeah because it was an import but it's like an import anime thing i remember that took forever yeah they kind of play by different rules but like they do have the one that came in cyberstorm access but so it's like it's a little tricky because basically rescue ace is a decent deck right now but not really able to like viably compete until it gets the next couple of cards it needs but um arise hearts in the game a lot of people are quite concerned about this just because it's a Highly oppressive card. Just a walking macrocosmos and then some. Uh, so the next couple of months, at least, of Master Duel probably won't be too pretty. Um, you know. Will this be better or worse than when Tier was at full power, then not at full power, then really not at full power, and still winning? Still winning, yeah. It's probably going to be about the same. I don't know what approach they will... It is looking pretty far into the future, but like what approach they might take to balance... Um, you know, Kashtira over time. Like, right now, they did release their field spell at 1. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's that. Watch and I know that... Planet. Yeah, and Fenrir is at 2. So, I mean, they might kind of go on to just keep limiting cards. I know that this time around, with um, the deck, they're much more UR heavy than, like, TR Elements, for instance, was. Mm-hmm. So, like... More sales. Arise Heart, Unicorn, Fenrir... Kashtir Theosis and Pressured Planet are all UR cards. Golly. So it's it's a pretty it's pricey. Um if you if you're a free to play person and you've just been like saving up your gems, you might be fine. But like if you wanted to just hop in and haven't been playing and you want to play uh Kashtira, then yeah, you gotta kinda like pay up. So um now I'm gonna probably be hopping back in a little bit more now that the format started. I want to see for myself just how bad Rise Heart is. My hopes are not high that it will be a fun time, but Paul doesn't like playing Kashtira Dittos. But you know he's gonna he's gonna deal with it. He'll he'll play it. Yeah. Uh, oh, I won't play Dittos. I, I have no plans of playing <laughs> Kashtira. It's a shame because I think the Kashtira's playstyle is cool. I just think it's the Rise Heart's a bit overboard. If everyone's gonna be playing it, then that kind of like you know that feeling of like you don't really want to play a deck if it's like the top tier thing and everyone's yeah. using it. And, yeah. You know. So so like I could gladly play it and like. Four or five months when it's just been neutered, then I'll be like, sure, I'll try to play a weird offbeat Kashtira thing. It won't have a, it won't have a rise heart or a probably Finra will probably be banned. It'll be everything. <laughs> so it'll be playing with just the Tiaramet one and a couple of new accessories. They added like fire sleeves and um, the, uh, I think the Pal Labyrinth is a new field. Yeah, I the saw Arch that. I saw Labyrinth, that. So something in- it's kind of interesting. So a rise heart comes out very soon after a rise heart got hit in the TCG. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of having this like inverse of formats. It's yeah. The, so the way that master duel has gone, thanks to TR elements and now Kashtira, and technically it's kind of been like this the whole time is like, you almost get like these sort of second wave formats mm-hmm. where TCG has to kind of deal with a deck and then master duel comes out and it has to like deal with it. And, it, but it's never fully identical because, like, different amounts of things are available. Yeah, so, like, cards, some cards might be at one or two that were at, like, three in the TCG or vice versa. And then, like, you know, so it's a little weird. It did make me realize, though, 
if you're an OCG player, Master Duel is so far behind. Because, like, here in the TCG, I mean, like, Rescue Ace came out in January, right? The right. set that had, like, Amazing Defenders. And that had Rescue Ace, Makonko, and Pirelli. Makonko and Pirelli at least came out together, but those came, like, last month. That was still, like, September, like, the beginning of September or whatever. Right. And now it's, like, October and Rescue Ace is out. That's, like, nine months. So, like, most things take six to nine months to come to Master Duel after releasing in the TCG. But that means in the OCG, most stuff is, like, a year. Like, a, yeah. a year later. And it, I, so it kind of made me wonder, like, what do OCG players, do they even view Master Duel as remotely even, like, a viable way to play? That's so interesting, because I've heard many TCG players, when they talk about Master Duel, talk about how it's, OCG centric, how it leans yeah, OCG. It does, yeah, that's true. But or I would say at least, if it, if it, if the cards that they expect to play come out a year later, then it kind of feels more TCG centric instead. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that it is it's OCG centric insofar as it feels like the ban list approach is very OCG centric, but mm-hmm. that's really probably where the similarities end, because like, they're I mean they're just a year offset from. I don't, yeah, I don't know. You're right. That ban list is, is not right because we don't even have access to Dragoon and Duel Links, and that's just wrong. I want that to be known. Konami. Or you mean Master Duel. What did I say? Duel Links. Oh, man, there's too many. I was saying, if, if, it, if Dragoon was in Duel Links, that just sounds like hell on earth. It can't come. Y'all, it, we not can Duel never get sure. Dragoon in Duel Links. But yeah, that's pretty much the Master Duel news. I don't think there's like anything else. I know they're doing like some discounted gems pay thing but i'm not spending my money if i can help it so coward nah coward speaking of duelings though there is a dueling story okay uh, it's kind of been resolved now i think but uh it's a really interesting story okay, so let's hear it. you know for like the third pot in a row rush duels came out on duelings if you haven't played give it a try but this actually does concern rush duels so in the rush duel mode and duelings it's separate cards right you yeah. have rush duel cards and you have uh, speed cards. Right. And never the two should mix. Mm-hmm. Except. They mixed? Someone figured out a way to stick speed duel cards into their rush duel decks. Oh, wow. And for about a day or a day and then some, mm-hmm. people have been playing Mirror Force, Blue Eyes, and like other powerful speed just, duel cards yeah, okay. in rush duels where they literally can't do anything about those cards. So do the cards not cause any like glitches or bugs? They just kind of no, function? They just work as, I as guess they think they should. So that tells me, well, A, that's crazy. Like that just, so, you know, that's typical like hackers going to kind of yeah. mod things, whatever. But it does tell us that and you probably could have guessed it. The rush duel is very much like coded off just like a modification of mm-hmm. the existing sort of speed duel, duel links engine. So it doesn't surprise me. I was like kind of concerned because I thought that the game might just sort of bug when it's like, okay, this is a not rush duel card. So it just like freezes it reads or like a foreign thing. Yeah. Or just like it just won't resolve. Yeah, it just and reads kinda, as a card. So, okay. Interesting. So like now, Mirror Force will still just destroy all attack position monsters. Yes. Now. Not everyone could just do this. Mm-hmm. It actually did take cheat software and some like manipulation to actually get the cards into your decks. Mm-hmm. But Duel Links has a feature where you can copy deck lists from ranked games 
if you have the cards, it lets you copy the deck list and you can use the oh, deck. Oh, so as if long somebody as you own the cards. So if somebody hacked mm-hmm. and did this and they like kind of were in ranked games, then I, who have not hacked, yep. can still go in and copy the list and now it'll just automatically apply to my game. Interesting. So there were actually plenty of people right just exploiting this. There were some hackers and then a bunch of people taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And um it's been corrected as of today. Uh, there was an update in Duel Links. They have corrected the problem, the yeah. exploit that they were using. Uh, the people who used cheating software were banned. That doesn't surprise me. But the people who copied Deckless were not banned. Even though... Oh, I wonder they if they were, can distinguish. That was an exploit. I think they can tell. Okay. I do think the, the Duel Links team, they could tell the difference between someone who was copying Deckless and someone who wasn't. But he, And I have a theory on why they didn't ban everybody yeah it would have been too many people for their i mean feature well that and like there are people who probably like didn't might not even necessarily known what they were doing that's true too and so if they got banned that would suck because i mean like you i could see an innocent situation here where like a person just didn't know like it's unlikely but like it can happen and then like if they got banned that wouldn't be very but it it would be a uh, a bit of an exploit, and many games they'll ban you for ex- for an exploit even if you didn't like yeah. hack their software. But all's well that ends well. So they did. It's been resolved. It's been resolved. I I feel only slightly bad for the people who do get banned, who did get banned, only slightly because I don't believe in cheating. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh players don't cheat. I'm just being. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. But um. You know, if you play Duel Links and you played it for a while, you probably spent some money, and uh, that's a huge investment to lose. Yeah. <laughs> I guess swinging back to the TCG for just a bit, there are some more Phantom Nightmare re- 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 leaks, reveals, releases. It's not released. Well, it's a leak if you live in the United States, and it's a reveal if you live in Japan. True. That's a good way to look at it. So we got the Goblin Riders archetype. Oh, that's, I like those. I mean, uh, I don't know what those are. Well, tell me about it. What's the... Because I know that they... Are they or are they not based on, like, the existing kind of, like, goblins in the game? Like, they Goblin Attack Force, Upstart Goblin. Okay. The Goblin Riders are their own thing. Um, the Goblin Attack Force goblins, and even, like, the hard-selling goblin, they they have kind of have their own so lore like and separate. story going on. Okay. These guys are just goblins who ride things. That... They're, in a weird way, they're more in line with Goblinburg, since they're they're also goblin who's who ride things. But they're an Xyz centric archetype that uh, they're all about just making Xyz. And if you have an Xyz, you detach by summoning their goblin, 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 goblin. It's missing some pieces to be a full functioning archetype. But many kind of middling archetypes that eventually end up being like pretty decent. They start off that way. Yeah, so it might just be a little bit of support away from being. Maybe a top tier candidate. But one thing they do have is they have cards that work with just goblin cards. They don't. They have card. They don't always specify goblin riders. Oh, so there could be like goblin things like Goblinberg and Goblin um, Attack Force, which I don't recommend. But maybe. Yeah. Is there anything that can like search like goblin spells or traps, like a Robin Goblin or Upstart Goblin? um, One of their Xyz monsters, I think it searches for goblin monsters. But it would be hilarious if it searched for goblin spells and traps. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. I. I also saw fish lamps, I believe is what they are called. No, I did not read those things. Or something, it might be I new goatee support. I look away. I don't, I don't like fish on my plate. Yeah, I have not read too much about these, so I don't want to like speak too soon. But I think it's just new fish support, kind of banished fish. Mm-hmm. So basically goatee support. Um, 
goatees ish. Yeah. Well, some people don't know that, but um, yeah. So, uh, I think that's interesting. I mean, like, it just seems like Phantom Nightmare is shaping up to be another more impactful set. I'm looking forward to that set. It has you bell stuff. I'm excited. And then the last thing that was announced was the Gate Dark Guardian or the Dark Guardian. Yeah, you know what that is. It was from early in GX when uh, J- Jaden and Cyrus dueled against the Paradox Brothers. That's Para and Docs. Mm-hmm. And um, when they managed to destroy the Gate Guardian through some like pretty like pretty snazzy moves, actually, I think Cyrus just used Drillroid. Anyway, they destroyed <laughs> the Gate Guardian, and that allowed that allowed the Paradox Brothers to use their spell Dark Energy. Yeah, I forget what they're yeah, It's like the Dark something. Dark Guardian. Dark Summoning or whatever. But like. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It's this weird th- robot tarantula. Yeah, I guess it's maybe like a little bit of Jirai Gumo because it's kind of got the spider leg yeah, body like thing. A, it's a robotic spider thing and a guy who has a claw and an axe. So basically, I remember when I was reading its effect, it's unaffected by um, monsters and spells, like monster effects, spell effects. Can't be sure And it can't be sure by battle. It's like, what, 3838 or it's something kind of like that. So. Beefy boy can be summoned with the spell card. I think the spell pays half your life points, and you have to have like a gate guardian card in your grave. But like in that deck, that's not hard. Yeah, like overall, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of win more for the gate guardian deck. I mean, I don't know that it you necessarily. I mean, I guess you would play it just because if you're playing gate guardian, you want to play everything it like, can play. I mean, it's a massive brick if you don't have the uh, dark energy spell since. There's just there's no way to really work with it outside of that spell. But mm-hmm. the spell lets you summon any of your uh, your gate guardian monsters from the deck or extra deck. Yeah, it can summon their new like the level eleven fusion. Yeah, the I think gate guardians combined. Yeah, or which, the little like pieces of them. <clears throat> which actually is pretty cool because that one's uh, it's quite big and it's got good effects. There's actually one of the pieces. Now I don't know my gate guardian cards that well, but one of the pieces of the one of the fusion monsters actually. If you summon the Dark Guardian with that thing on the field, it gives it even more protection. I think it becomes kind of like Towers-esque in that situation. Okay. Cool. So, um, more interesting stuff from Phantom Nightmare. Definitely feels like it's, like, really going in on the GX. Yeah, it's yeah. going all in on going the Going all in on the GX, which it's cool. You know, they got U-Bell already and stuff like that, so. Oh, I want to play the U-Bell stuff so bad. Yeah, color me interested. Um... I, I think that already Konami's kind of turning it around with the products. Age of Overlord looks mm-hmm. promising. Phantom Nightmare looks promising. Um, you know, like we could. It, it's just nice to see like kind of some light at the end of the tunnel after a period of maybe more depression around like <laughs> these last few months of products that did not go so well. I do still see that they make social media posts about that Dark Magician though. Well, they gotta move them somehow. Yeah, I still think that they haven't sold all 1,000 of the Platinum Dark Magicians that you can buy for $1,300 if you are so inclined. You got, you got, got 1300 for me? Yeah, here. Well, I already bought mine, so. Oh, okay, well, I need 1300 I mean, I'll have to, like, mine. sell it or something. Oh, yeah, you sell I can't yours, sell it until they... Then, oh, yes, get here for... Oh. Yeah, well, I can't... Well, well, more so what I was going to say. Okay, actually, that does remind me. What? They announced the pot collection, the pot of greed collection. Yeah, not... Not to this pot. Oh, yeah, they could, can't see the pot. But, the pot um, is here. Yeah, the pot's here. Yeah. You guys probably know people are like, where'd the pot go? No, it's, it's, it's in between. Like, it's you can see, screen. like, the handle here in the edge. Of the... Like, you guys can't see, but Paul and I are shaking hands right now. Okay, well. Okay, anyway, the Pot of Greed collection, which was a TTG product that you could buy at, like, the beginning of this year, or maybe it was, like, the end of last year, where you get, like, these little mini models of all the 
different pot cards and then like a quarter century rare version of all of them. Mm-hmm. Even the shard of greed, you get like a little bitty shard. I'm so mad to find out they came in English. Yeah, so that actually is going to be getting shipped out, they say, in November. So I'm looking forward to it, and I am making a promise that I will show them all here in the pot of greed because we would be wrong not to, huh? I'm mad, y'all. I'm still. Just Man, what mad are you upset about? Because I thought they were in Japanese, so I didn't want. I didn't want to order one. No, they were definitely in English. They well, made an announcement. I'm an idiot because I didn't order it, and I would have. Had I known they were in English. Yeah, no comment. Um, so that's really cool. There is one other kind of cool offbeat piece of Yu-Gi-Oh! information people got to see last week. Um, the Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel series deck flexing is actually oh, going to yeah. be coming out this week. So if you guys uh, hadn't seen it, they released the promos where you they're basically... our ugly mugs. Yeah. Alec and I are hosting a series called deck flexing that's happening on Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel... Um, where every week we will be getting different, we'll be hosting and like kind of commentating and stuff. Where we have like a different every pair week of people. We'll pit two different challenges to the test to be the ultimate. Oh wait. Yeah, it's you know, like reading the script. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, yeah, this week uh, it's going to be debuting tomorrow. It's going to be who is it? Jay Wong, Wong and, and Vicious. Vicious. Yeah. So we recorded those a couple months back. I'm glad to see them finally getting released by Konami. I am very excited to see. People's reception of them, assuming that Konami enables comments in the videos. They probably won't. They don't know who was all in the series, right? They just know the first two? Or, or, I think they've announced they everybody. Know everybody. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. they've got VTubers. Yeah, they've VTubers, got, influencers. Um, influencers. fighting game specialists. Yeah, so this first episode, all I will say is it's really, really good. It's actually, it, it, it might be my favorite. Yeah, for sure. So be sure to check that out on, I guess, the Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG channel. They haven't been super clear about where exactly it's going to be published, but it's just, I'm assuming that's where it is. It won't be published on our channels. Yeah, yeah, it won't be on Team APS. You'll have to just look elsewhere. Um, But I'm really excited. I think that it's, I'm just excited for people to see it, see how they react. What if they'll premiere them? That'll be fun. That would be cool. I don't know if Konami knows how a premiere on YouTube works. I don't think they know. Yeah. If you're watching uh, as a YouTube premiere right now, by the way, press one. I think that's everything for Yu Gi Oh! Yeah, that's all I got for you, Gil, too. I, I didn't have much, to be honest. Cool. So, a lot of card game stories, though. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've been I've, I've been hearing a few things here and there. Um, all right. Want to kick us off? <clears throat> so, Pokemon TCG players divided after Collector Discovers co-worker scammed them. Oh, okay. This sounds salacious. No, nah, it's a bit of a click, clickbait, but I'll give you the story anyway. All right. So, what happened? So, Who got scammed? <laughs> All right, so this is this is a, a story off of Reddit because they love just stealing Reddit stories and making them into articles. Oh, yeah. Articles. Hey, you're the one who brought it to the podcast. Hey, man, I needed something. All right, let's check it out. So, so user Gears of Logic, that's their Reddit name, uh, explained that a co-worker of theirs had a nephew who loved collecting Pokemon cards. This moved Gears of Logic and others in the office to sell cards cheaply to this co-worker. It was eventually discovered that there was no such nephew and the co-worker <laughs> had been collecting the cards themselves at a discounted rate. Wow. According to Gears of Logic, the co-worker was too embarrassed to admit they were an adult collecting Pokemon cards. Oh, that's weird. Hmm. I mean, like, it's 2023. Are people really... Is there, like, a still a stigma around adults doing that? So, depending on how old you are, yes. Okay. Because, like, that stigma, like, it shifts with age and like it's kind of a gradual thing like if you are like 21 what stigma right 
Yeah. But if you're 42 and you're, you know, all your peers are in their 40s too, like. I don't know. I mean, I always thought that these days people just kind of did their Pokemon thing and it just wasn't. I mean, if anything, well, I was going to say, like, you hear about, like, people getting shot over Pokemon cards and, like, trampling in Target. But I guess maybe that adds more to the, like, these adults shouldn't be doing this. It's like when I go to, like, a family gathering with all my older family members and, like, trying to 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 tell them I work in card games is still my fruitless endeavor. Yeah. That's actually a fun one, uh, how I describe my, like, sort of job to my family. Because most of them... They, like, I mean, some people kind of know what a YouTuber is, like, in a general sense. Mm-hmm. But also they don't know, like, what I YouTube about. Because, like, typically if you are if you have, like, a niece or a nephew or grandson or whatever who's, like, a YouTuber, maybe you'd expect that they're the people who just go and shoot crazy videos in other countries and get kicked out or do the weird pranks. And it's like, no, nah, I kind of just talk about uh, card games. Just, you know. I have been asked if I know very specific niche YouTubers. Because I'll tell them I'm a YouTuber, and they'll be like, oh, do you know so-and-so? He leads this ministry on YouTube, and his videos are so uplifting. I'm like, relax. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I don't know I, that much. I don't know everybody on the platform. I'm not even that large myself. Yeah, that reminds me. Okay, so what are your favorite genres of YouTube videos to watch? I know this is a complete tangent. Oh. Um, do you have like a certain type of video that you like watching? Very specific like game information, like mobile games and stuff. Oh yeah. I actually don't I don't actually watch a lot of YouTube for pleasure. Okay. I just use it for information. Yeah, I like retrospectives, video essays, like tech videos. It's usually like kind of my top three. Fair. I used during the pandemic I got into watching a lot of like uh sketch comedy mm-hmm. on the platform when everybody was was like, I'm bored, let's be a YouTuber. Ah, good times. I think the funniest thing is that and contrary to I think a lot of people's sort of opinion on it, I don't watch much YouTube. I just, uh, despite being a YouTuber, like, or a YouTuber, everybody kind of assumes, oh, you must watch a lot of, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! content. Mm-hmm. I actually don't, though. I don't know if it's partly because, like, I mean, like, I'm making Yu-Gi-Oh! content, so I feel like I, pretty much any Yu-Gi-Oh! related thing hits my ears either way, but I don't have, like, I guess, the interest to seek now, out, like, a full, like, deck profile or, like, things like that. This is interesting. Do you think, do you watch... Do you think you used to watch more YouTube and has declined over time? Or have you just always just not watched a lot? I used to watch it a lot. It's declined. Ah, uh, okay. The more I YouTube, the less I want to watch it. The more I want to get That's away. Fair. Like, just not not so much away, but like, you know, I want to palette cleanse. Because mm. if I'm sitting here making videos where it's like, okay, theme duel or like new Yu-Gi-Oh! news, new products, ban list, thoughts, openings. It's like when I kind of have my free away from work time, I would really rather indulge in like things I like. But I've found more and more and more so. I just I kind of want to insulate myself like increasingly from it, if that like makes sense. No, it does. It does. Uh, I think a lot of people have a very similar experience with their hobbies being their jobs to an extent. Yep. The uh, my own personal experience. I mean, you kind of um, introduced YouTube to me. Uh, I wasn't a. Uh, I didn't before I got on. Before I started, I met Paul. I didn't really use YouTube. I use it very sparingly. And then Paul was like, this is YouTube. I have a channel. This is YugiTube. So I pretty much learned about yeah. YugiTube at the same time I started <laughs> using YouTube. And um, I never really got into it. for Actually, for years, I kept telling Paul, I was like, I can't stand watching these like, Yu-Gi-Oh videos. These are awful. Until I watched Nim Nim. Nim Nim's great. 
That's I still think Nim Nim's uh, sealed only series is the single best piece of Yugi Tube content I've ever consumed. I think uh, so. Sort of a funny story for me right now. This weird p- type of Yu Gi Oh content I've gotten back into after many years is just watching just straight pack openings. I've been watching a little bit of Ruxin more lately. Mm-hmm. Like I'd always you know kind of known about him, been on my radar. We've even collabed on some things, but like lately I've just enjoyed watching like people just open packs. Just like old packs, especially. Is, like, that, like, is that like ASMR? You just like listening to it? And no, it? no. Surprisingly, no. Although that does sound like an interesting genre, but more so, like I just, I just like seeing, uh, just like seeing what he'll pull. I don't know. It's it's weirdly satisfying and like kind of low octane. I don't have to like pay super close attention. I can kind of let it run because like when he pulls something good, he'll exclaim, and so you know, I don't really have to endorphin rush. Yeah. Um. It makes me kind of want to do pack openings more myself, but that means buying packs. So that's kind of a tough Look, sell. Sometimes. You're gonna spend either in Master Duel or you're gonna spend in real life. You gotta pick one. I don't spend in Master Duel. I'm a free to player. Wow. Most of the time at least. He's cheap. But so, anyway. Yeah, sorry so, for the tangent. I just thought it was uh What so were we talking this about? This co Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, they created this narrative that their nephew collected Pokemon cards and they told everyone in their office office about it. So everyone was selling them cards on the low or for the low, not on the low. Mm-hmm. And they found out the nephew didn't exist. Yeah. Now yeah, it's like does it it sounds like, oh, this is some crazy uh, little like in office scandal. It wasn't that bad, y'all. It turns out the uh, the the coworker was not actually reselling the cards. They actually did enjoy collecting Pokemon cards. They were just... And the cards that were sold to uh, the person, I don't actually have a he or a she or anything, they weren't actually even expensive cards. It was mostly just bulk. I mean, that, that was kind of what I was thinking, because if it's like a bunch of people at your like, office at work, they can't know that much about like what's the, the high dollar stuff and what's like current and modern and like, I feel like they would either just be selling bulk or like literally I would like if you like if we were all like in this office space mm-hmm. and you were like, hey, my like niece or nephew likes Pokemon cards. I would probably gift you like sealed product I bought off like the shelf at Walmart. It'd be like just a cheap thing like, oh, I bought like a pack or two here. Give it to your nephew for me. But like, I don't think I would I, I wouldn't like, like be buying like stuff. Yeah, like I bought, you know, 10 boxes of 151 and I'm going to sell it to you for like a discount. You know? it, it, all for your nephew. Merry Christmas or whatever. The, but you know what is a scam? I don't know. I, I think I told you this story, Paul, about uh, the lady that goes around my mom's neighborhood uh, asking people if they have Pokemon cards. So for some context, guys, uh, my mom lives in this neighborhood. Um, it's a, it's kind of like an older community. Uh, everybody's in their like 40s and up. And, um, you know, not, not too many kids in those homes anymore. Well, this lady goes around the neighborhood asking people if they'd like to donate Pokemon cards, specifically Pokemon cards. Cause that, with the idea being, well, these are a bunch of older people. Their kids have probably like flown the nest and they may have left like Pokemon cards behind. Oh, and so she's hoping. She's hoping that to get people to donate these cards. And then she can go through and find some valuables. Exactly. She's treasure hunting using old people. Wow. Has your mom given her any? No, no, no. Okay. My my mom knew cards were worth something before I did. Okay. She was very mad when Alex, my mom would buy us these on like the very first Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Collection. Actually, both the 
the first one and the second one. Uh, we, we were bought both of those. And Alex and I, not understanding that cards had any value whatsoever, we traded all those cards away for, like, nothing. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, like, I do think that only po- Pokemon's probably the only game where... She watches where... our podcast. She's going to be mad and text me about it later. I would say Pokemon's the only game where that would happen. Like, because it's the big, it's the only one where, like, a mainstream person would still know that they could be worth something. Mm. So they would, like, oh, I'm going to, like, kind of just, you know, meander around the neighborhood and ask, like, old ladies and stuff for, you know. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. The the work scam, I guess, isn't that bad. It's just a little weird. Yeah, it's it's more of a, it's a weird story. It's not really a scam, but um, it's a story. All right, guys, it's a story. It's, you didn't know about this story, so I don't want to hear it. Well, let's take a darker twist with mine. Detroit man found guilty in deadly shooting over card game. Is is this related to the shooting during the pandemic, or is this a different shooting? Possibly. Um. So, Detroit man found guilty in deadly shooting over card game. A Detroit man charged with fatally shooting another man in a card game was found guilty on Friday, the Michigan Attorney General's office announced. Um... LaShawn Wells, 46, was convicted of second-degree murder and one count of felony firearm. He faces a potential life sentence. Um, officials say Wells shot and killed 41-year-old Markel Scholar nine times following an altercation during a card game. Wait, um, it was during a card game? Yes, during a card game. Nine times? Yeah, the quote is that a game of cards result in murder is a tragedy, and I'm grateful to see the jury bring accountability to the senseless crime. I don't know if it's a trading card game. I figured it might just be like Uno. But, oh, um, so it just says a card game. Yeah, it doesn't mention what card game. And it says sentencing is scheduled for October 25th. I was going to try to like find if they say... I feel like if it was a trading card game, at least if it were Magic or Pokemon, they would have just said the name of the game. Yeah, I want to say that it was probably... I mean, it could have even just been like some standard 52-card deck type of... Like, I am at. They might have been playing spades or something. You know? That yeah, it's I've just seen like spades tables get very heated. Nine times, but I, I've seen it get very heated. I honestly, when it comes to spades, I'm surprised they stopped at nine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also, I think given and this is maybe a bit of judgment on my end, given like just the ages of these guys, it definitely seems like it might have been something that's more like magic. You said it could have been Magic the 40s, Gathering, right? yeah, people in their forties. <laughs> no, right. But yeah, it probably doesn't seem like it'd be Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh for sure. Nah, but um, guys, have you ever been so angry at someone playing uh, Yu-Gi-Oh or any card game that you're like, I'm just gonna unload nine in them? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Although I have seen like, you know, bits of violence kind of break out over Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, no, we've all seen a fight or two. Yeah, there's always been like you know, kind of videos of people who have fights. Usually, that's over like stolen cards more so than like just losing a game. But I've seen things get heated at like YCS events and stuff. So he's a grown. Come on, y- y'all grown. Yeah, like, there's that. adults who Don't will. You know, they'll they'll get they'll get loud. They'll you know get close to violence. I typically in middle school, I got into a fight when a kid stole my card. It wasn't even like a Yu-Gi-Oh playing kid. Just some kid was met, wanted to mess with the nerds, so he ran over and took like one of my cards, and so uh, we all got into a fight. Yeah, I mean your kid, so it's okay, but. Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't know if adults should be uh, fighting, but then again, cards have money have like monetary value, and so yeah, I wonder if it was all money. It doesn't sound like it was, but it, like there's always the chance. 
Like some people play cards for money and some people don't. Like then again, yeah, I've seen true. some heated spades tables to say there's no money on the line. Yeah. I mean I think spades though is one of those games where there's like still a fair amount of pride like tied into it. I feel sort like of spades so. is seventy percent skill and thirty percent just aggression. Like that's that's the game. Just you you know, you're good at the game and you're mad. That that's the whole thing. Yeah, so um hopefully that doesn't have to happen again. All right, so that brings me to this. Now, this isn't a story, but it's an observation. Is it a story? My next, yeah. What I bring, what I have next, is not a story. Well, it's a story, but it's not an article. I'm not reading an article. It's Alex's opinion. So, a buddy of mine at the shop told me that Battle Spirits boxes are like twenty something bucks online. Twenty something bucks, like Battle Spirits Saga. Battle Spirits Saga, the new, the new Battle Spirits reboot game. Bandai, yeah. So I was like, no way. Mm-hmm. So I was a TCG player. And um, the False Gods, that's their second set, their latest set. They have a set coming out soon, but their latest set, uh, yeah, you can buy a box of that for 25 bucks. What is it MSRP for, roughly? Do we know? I don't know the MSRP, but I promise you it's more than 25 bucks. Well, maybe actually, large, okay, so I need a few amount. details. I can look it up. <clears throat> well, well, I was going to say just like how many... Like, by box, we mean, like, kind of the equivalent of, like, a Yu-Gi-Oh box. Like, is it, like, 20, like, you know, 16 packs, 24 packs, like, that kind of thing? I think it's roughly equivalent. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at it now. 12 cards and one token like per, per pack. pack. 24 packs per box. Yeah, okay. So, it probably MSRP is for, I'm just going to kind of throw out a guess, like, 60, 70, maybe 80 bucks. Well, you can get one for 25. They're, like, 20. Yeah, that sounds... So that probably doesn't bode well. That's cripplingly, crip, cripplingly poor. I don't know why that word was so difficult. I was gonna say it's cryptically uh, bad for Battle Spirit Sagas. It's not just their first set. prospects. Their first set boxes are just as cheap. <laughs> yeah, but they're not the only card game that is suffering horrendously low prices. Yeah. Well, we know Soul Burning Volcano was like 27 bucks for a bit. I don't know if it yeah, still is. But, you know, Duelist Nexus boxes aren't quite well, they were like that 40. low. Like, woo. So what else is happening? So, where's the other card game? I believe it was Card Fight Vanguard boxes from their mm. latest sets. Yeah. Now, I may have made a mistake in my research for Card Fight Vanguard. There are a stupid number of sets for this game. But Card Fight Vanguard boxes, at least for what I can tell from my last few sets, are also in the 20s. And I think this is the Lorcana effect. The Lorcana effect, how do you mean? So, Lorcana just bulldozes its way into our like card game market, our community. And Lorcana boxes, at least their first set, sell for about 100 and something bucks. Yeah. Well, that's got to come from somewhere, right? Markets have, there's a finite number of buyers and a, there's a finite amount of uh, money in the market. So you were saying that the entry of Larkana and the big interest that it's had has kind of muscled some other card games down mm-hmm. in perceived like value and price and interest. There have to be losers in when, when a new product enters a market like this. Right. And it, it's looking like Battle Spirits and Vanguard are the losers here. Now I mean, that, that doesn't talk that's not speaking on like the amount of players that play the game. I'm just looking at demand for their latest products. Yeah, I mean it's interesting you mentioned that because um 
we, I know we were saying like, you know, just a couple months back before the kind of came out that like, there will probably have to be some shifting of like kind of the top five, top 10 card games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, cause there's just only so many people only have so much time. They only have so much money and they only have so much bandwidth. And so with Lorcana coming out, I know a lot of people have been trying it out. Trell's trying to play it. Larry's been trying to play it. Chris, I think, kind of tries to play it. So, you know, just even within sort of some of our friend group, there's interest in it. But that means that you're probably giving up a different card game in the process. Right. And you even... You can only do so much. Yeah. And even in, a, like, a local card shop, I mean, like, there's only so many days out of the week for tournaments to even mm-hmm. happen. So, like, if you're a card shop where you have, like, maybe Friday's your Magic tournament... And, like, Saturday's your Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament. Maybe Sunday's your Pokemon tournament. And, you know, you can't really have other tournaments on, like, Mondays and Tuesdays because those tend to be slow days. You, you only have, have so many, many days off from work. Yeah, exactly. You only have, like, a few other slots. And so it's like, well, you know, you can start doubling up on some, but then that means you're splitting your communities up. Because if, like, if I play one piece in Pokemon and both mm-hmm. tournaments are on Sunday, then I have to, like, pick one. So, yeah, I can, I mean, I guess it's just playing out. And I did notice something. I don't know when this happened because I, I wasn't paying that much attention. But you know that that banner on TCG Player's site? Yeah. Carfight Vanguard used to be on there. Oh, and it got moved. But Marcana's there in its place now. Yeah. And I believe uh, TCG Player, they decided that banner by uh, just like raw card sales. Yeah, it's kind of like general popularity. And yeah. And uh, I mean, Vanguard got pushed off that list. And look, judging from prices of boxes, uh, Right. It's it's a bit of a... Yeah. But I mean, interesting. This is another interesting thing. So the other new card games that released this year are... Others? Which ones? So we have like Shadowverse. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I, technically Grand Archive officially Grand Archive. was this year. Yeah. These other card games, at least looking at the prices of their latest products, are fine-ish for the most part. They're holding steady. Yeah. like their Their boxes are in the 50s, 60s range. Like I was actually surprised that Shadowverse boxes were still mo- were like were moving at a very like reasonable price. Yeah, but they are they are. So it just it does show these new car games. They weren't the ones that are there at least right now. They're not the ones being crushed by Lorcana. It's actually like a little bit older games. Yeah, or at least one older game. I mean, I guess that does seem to be the indication right now. I for Vanguard's sake, I hope that it can bounce back and they can kind of figure something out. Maybe um, a sign for a reboot. Maybe it is. I really, I, I don't think that's the answer. I mean, e- a bit of a tangent, but I do think kind of just the concept of reboots as solutions to card games has been something you hear more and more about today. But I guess I'm still just not quite sold on the idea that a card game getting rebooted is objectively good. It's a strange phenomenon. It's hard to get a, a read on it because Vanguard is the one that's known for it because they've done it multiple times. Yep. Like much faster than you'd expect it, honestly. Cause we've been talking about a reboot for Yu-Gi-Oh, but that's only in the last like five years. And Yu-Gi-Oh has been around for over 20. Yeah. I mean, I know there've been some other card games that have gotten reboots. I guess you could technically call them that like Dragon Ball. Like you could consider Dragon Ball Super's card game to basically be a reboot of the original. Cause there was like a Dragon Ball card game like years ago. Yeah. By a, couple, and then, it was a completely different company. Yeah, and same could be said of, like, Digimon, if you want to, like, look at it broadly, right? Okay, and, and, and if you're looking at the IPs Like, a, the, an IP kind of getting revisited for a new card game maybe 10 years later, 15 years later. Um, There's another 
And technically, Dragon Ball Super is about to get a different reboot, like the fusion thing. I would call this a soft reboot. Like a soft reset thing. I just, I guess the reason why, like, these reboots give me pause is because it's kind of like um, an admission that your game is stale and not doing well, which means that the interest might have already left. And so then when there's a reboot, the plan might be that it, like, kind of gets people's eyes back on it. But it also could just be signaling like things aren't going well and maybe people just see it as like, oh, great. Like they're desperate. I'm just not like or something. But then you as a company have still put in the resources and it's Mm -hmm. a lot of resources and like designing this reboot, all the marketing of it, all the marketing material and just planning. And so. uh, Like, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think like reboots are like. The answer to failing it's, card games? I don't think reboots are the answer. Like, Card Fight Vanguard's kind of unique in that it canonizes all of its cards with its legacy format. What's mm-hmm. it called? Premium? Where you pretty much play everything and whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. So, like, Vanguard has, I think, stretched its lifespan. Yeah. I think Vanguard did die twice. Mm-hmm. And each time it came back, it's mostly people interested in that in the overall Vanguard brand. They play the the uh, the the premier format. They've been collecting cards since uh, what G before G series or what? If it, I, I I don't keep I can't keep up with Vanguard formats anymore. I'm always surprised Vanguard struggle, struggles just because like they actually have a, a running anime that usually tends to be enough to at least keep a card game afloat. I think honestly Vanguard suffers. Kind of because of the reboots. Because of the reboots, yeah. Because whenever you talk to like a former Vanguard player, they almost always tell you that one of those reboots was the reason they They stopped playing. You know, it feels almost comparable to Yu-Gi-Oh's every three years kind of new master rule, new summoning type thing. Mm -hmm. We haven't had it in the last like basically six years now. Because I think they're out of ideas. But um, I do think, and I'm not like, this isn't like me saying that synchros are bad or something. But more so that whenever you hear someone say that they quit Yu-Gi-Oh, it tends to be, it falls right around like when they introduced Synchros, when they introduced Xyz, when they added those pendulum things that were half monster, half spell, I didn't get what they were doing, you know, or like when they added the weird arrow things, like those tend to be kind of what people cite as their reason for quitting. So I do think that if we view those as like a reboot then it sort of says, yeah, people don't really like when a game gets an extra lump of complication. That's That actually makes me want to ask you guys a question. So did any of you guys quit Yu-Gi-Oh! or debate quitting Yu-Gi-Oh! when we got the uh, change to Master Rule 4, what, Master Rule 5? When or for, we, for revision. For, yeah, for revision. When they reopened our main monster zones for our extra deck monsters. Yeah. Because if all those other changes cause people to leave, I wonder if anyone was like, nope, this is where I draw the line. How dare you let me summon my Bounce fusion monsters back. back to my main yeah, monster Yeah, I would assume that maybe that yeah that 2020 thing was probably, I don't know, it might have brought some people back. I don't think it would have made anyone quit, at least, I would hope. I just haven't heard people really talk about it. I'm just curious. Did you guys quit? Did that get you back into the game? Because, like, that would be kind of like an an anti-reboot in a way. Yeah, it's kind of a walk back. Funny thing about that, too, um, that whole Master Rule 4 revision, is while I'm pretty glad about, like, them walking it back, I think that people didn't really seem to like Master Rule 4 all mm-hmm. that much, at least at first, I do think 
two small weaknesses that it's had is that getting that extra zone, like the sixth zone, to me has like really amped up the ceiling of a lot of combo decks. And if you're a combo player, that's like cool and fun and great. He's coming for you. But I do think that like if you're maybe one of these people who's more apprehensive about combo decks and the fact that they can like bring out these huge fields of monsters and just keep synchroing and keep linking and keep doing whatever, then like six zones means like that one extra zone of like just more nonsense, just, you know, a place for things to happen. Um, and then also, I think link monsters since that revision have kind of lost some identity. They're oh, still sure. used plenty. Like it's not to say they ha- they aren't being used, but just co-linking and kind of arrows and pointing and all that. When was effectively, the last time you saw a U-link? Yeah, like people don't. Yeah, there's not really any reason to U-link anymore since it's not really like changing much. <laughs> you U-link and your poet just summons the winner main monster zones. Yeah, so it's like I do think Link Monsters lost some identity and uniqueness in that in that transition, but eh, you know. Anyway, uh, what was the original story? What were we talking about? I oh yeah, you were saying that the like, value of like TCG player, yada yada yada. Just I I think Lorcana just had a has had a huge effect in his card game, and that was just its first set. Yeah, the second so, one's about to come out. There's two ways to look at that. That means that this could just write itself over time because the, that was a very first set. Yeah, the it was had the height. most interest, and things would just kind of balance out over time. Or maybe it gets more like it just now it really just ekes out its place in the card game space and it muscles some card games out completely. Yeah. Well, speaking of Lorcana, this is just a quick one. Um, Ravensburger actually announced today. Today being that name like, makes me hungry. Today being actually that was this morning um, that the Disney Lorcana trading card game will be available in ten new countries in twenty twenty four. Oh, they're expanding. So um, they're going to be expanding. They're going to be saying, they're saying Illumineers in Spain, Portugal, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, Poland, and Mexico will be able to answer the call, starting with the release of the third set in early 2024. These territories effectively double the global availability of Disney Larkana, which originally launched in US, Canada, UK, Ireland, France, Italy, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Belgium, the Netherlands and Luxembourg earlier this year. Oh wow! So, so nowhere in South America. Doesn't sound right. like it. Wow. Um, hopefully that can. Well, no, they say. Oh well, there's Mexico, but yeah, not. I mean, like, now it, now it's in Mexico. Yeah, it's yeah. Go okay. So, but you're right. It did not launch there. Interesting. I mean, mm. I certainly think that. I, Wait. So Mexico isn't in South America. Yeah, it's, it's central. Still considered like yeah, North or Central America. It's so that means yeah, no one. Wait, did you say Portugal? Yeah, po- yeah, Portugal. Wait, that's Spain, not, Portugal. That's not in, uh, in South America. Never mind. Yeah, that's true. I don't... Hmm. So you're right. Interesting. Not a single country in South America. Not even Brazil. I mean, I know Brazil has issues with like getting Yu-Gi-Oh products, so maybe just getting card game products to a lot of South Economy American countries like, might be difficult. Brazil's the only country in... No, we, Chile has, like, has events, so... Well, at any rate, though, I mean, I guess like it means that maybe it's not just a Yu-Gi-Oh specific thing. It could just be that it's difficult to launch card games in those territories in general. I'm pre- it's some supply chain. Nonsense. If somebody, if a listener does not mind better educating us on the subject, because I would like to be. I don't really know a lot about the situation. I've in been Espanol, told. por favor. Well, I'd be like our old Spanish teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, in English, ideally, if you can, because I'm I'm not great with Spanish. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'd like to know like what is the sort of Yu-Gi-Oh situation in South America, specifically Brazil. I hear a lot about that. 
or just the card game situation, why a lot of these companies are choosing, or maybe not choosing, but are maybe even like forced not to bring these games over, or why they seem to have so many supply chain issues, I'm not 100% sure. So It feels like it would be a real big pain to be a card game player in that in that region. Yeah, it seems like it would be difficult, and that sucks for them. So, At any rate, though, I mean, I guess for Lorcana itself, that's like basically doubling the amount of countries it's in. It's going to be everywhere. So it's definitely... And that's the Disney effect, right? Like, they're going to want this game to eventually mm-hmm. just be everywhere. Worldwide. So, so good for Lorcana. Um, I have not uh, been able to get my cards yet, if you wanted an update on that. But like I said, I'm just I'm going to do it when the next set comes out. If I'm going to give it a try, I'll have to be then. But, uh, you, but maybe you, I'll now get you're going to try Flesh and Blood. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, you're going to play one Pokemon 151. That's actually more likely, is that I'd probably sooner play 151. Good luck. I shop is out of them. Yeah, I know. I didn't... Gr- that's my problem. I don't grab things when I get the chance, but it's like... That really goes to show, though. It's so rough. Like, you got to get this stuff Demand fast. Demand is high. Demand's Demand high. It's is like, high. if you don't get this stuff, like, when it's on the shelf... It'll pass you sucks by. Sucks to suck. All right, we're going to transition a little bit from card games for just a moment. Sony's new PlayStation Slim just got announced. Did you know? Well, I tried to ignore it because I already bought mine, and I don't want to know how much people are saving money on me. Yeah, Sony officially announced... Well, don't worry, they're not saving money. Sony is, I guess, but the people buying aren't. Sony officially announced a new PS5 model with a detachable disk drive and one terabyte of internal storage. Often referred to as the PS5 Slim, this new model is slightly slimmer and shorter than the existing one, but will crucially replace both the PS5 and PS5 Digital Edition. In the U.S., the new model will cost $499, with the hard drive included, while the PS5 Digital Edition is four forty nine, so um, this is interesting because that's more than full. If you if that that's actually more than the digital edition was. Yeah, it is. It's the same for the other one, but so it's actually a price. Yeah, it's a weird price hike in a way because even though it's like, I think it's because cost of materials and like inflation and stuff. Maybe that's kind of how they're rationalizing it. Is that a sign that maybe because like consoles, I know the margins get better. The margins being how much they make per unit sold, they get better over time. Yes. But for there to be a price hike in the cheaper of the device of the versions, maybe that means that like the margins aren't moving as quickly as they like them to. They probably aren't. I mean, we've seen what inflation looks like. Everything's like so much more expensive now. Um, if you purchase the base PS5 Digital Edition, you can add the Blu-ray disc drive at a later date, as Sony is selling it separately for $79.99. So um, mm. you can turn your digital into a physical, like which is a cool feature. Yeah, I guess that means that uh, if you ever do pick up like a physical game for some odd reason, or you pick up a Blu-ray and you want to watch it, I guess you can just go get your... $70 Blu-ray player. There are four separate cover panels with the top portion in a glossy look while the bottom remains matte. Um, I'll have to see that in person to really, I guess, gauge for myself. But um, also, there are now two dual... like there's Yeah, two USB-C ports at the front instead of the one USB-C, one USB-A that the current PS5 has. I do like the idea of having two USB-Cs. So it's going to be released in November in the U.S. at select retailers and on Sony's direct PlayStation site and will continue to roll out globally in the following months once inventory of the current PS5 models sold out. This will become the only one available. So I guess there's no reason, real reason to upgrade to it unless yeah, it, you just want that extra storage. Yeah, it doesn't feel like an upgrade thing. I mean, like, it 
definitely feels like it's just you get a USB-C port instead of having one. You have two now, so that's cool. And then, like, you, uh, I mean, it has a slightly larger hard drive, so. Actually, now that I think about it, this is kind of funny. I've actually seen more people use the USB-A slot on their PS5s than the USB-C slot. I don't ever really see people use either. I mean, they just charge their controller with whatever they've got, and that's usually it. Because, like, that's what I mean. Like, when people plug in their controllers, it's USB-A. They don't Do even Do you use USB-A? Use, yeah. Okay. Because the controller has a USB-C port, but it's a USB-C. It's like C to A. C to A. That's, okay. That's how I do it. Yeah, I mean, and there aren't even really other accessories, I feel, for these things, right? Like, what else are you plugging into your PS5? Your phone? I guess you could. Does anyone, like, am I, there's probably something obvious I'm forgetting that, like, people, I mean, because I know, like, if you use the, uh, like, the PSVR, I think that's, like, HDMI and stuff, like, it's all in the back. Oh, yeah, you can't so. run it the VR. I don't know that you can that. do that off the USB-C, at least on the PlayStation, but, like, I don't know, I mean, it's Maybe cool. Maybe the VR controllers, I don't know how that works. Um, I'm gonna take, uh, yeah, like, even in these, okay, here's, like, these renders of just how it looks. See. So, it doesn't look. is It is slimmer. It's I, a little slimmer, a little shorter. I like the look. It's just um, you won't be getting one, is what I'm hearing. I mean, I don't see, I, I don't see any reason to. Yeah, I don't either, frankly. Like, I feel like most people who want a PS5 already have them, and for the fact that they're not coming down in price at all. Yeah, I don't know how much this really helps the whole situation. I guess it just means if you get one in 2024, you'll have a slightly better one. Though I'm sure they are saving money on these units per like as compared to the original PS5s. So, I think that this does maybe not bode so well if you're one of those people who's expecting like a PS5 Pro, like you know, like they did the PS4 Pro mm -hmm. a few years into the generation cycle or whatever. I don't think they're going to be able to do a Pro, at least not yet, because if this thing, which still has identical specs, is you know still just the same price, like basically three years into the cycle, I don't okay. know that. That like we can expect a pro to come for anything less than like six hundred, seven hundred bucks, and that would be crazy. So maybe it's because I'm not really a console gamer anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I play mostly on PC. Do we need it to be better? Like, do the mm. graphics need to be better? Does I mean a lot of what a lot of people want out of these pro machines is just to be able to run. More consistently at like 60 FPS or run like closer to being an actual native 4K. Because that's usually what the way that these games work is they run it like less than 4K resolution and then mm. it's kind of like upscaled to 4K for your TV. Or they'll run it like less than 60 FPS. And people want like the smooth, perfect 4K 60 FPS experience for all of their games. And right now the Xbox One and the PS5 aren't usually able to deliver that in most games. So they would like a pro model that can at least do that and maybe ideally more. But I'm with you. I don't really think that there's, like, a big need for it right now. I, I don't think that until, like... I mean, I can get that on my PC. I know not everyone has, like, the situation where they can have a console and a PC. But I think if you really care about specs to that degree, mm -hmm. you probably will be better served just having a PC. Getting a PC. Yeah, but I... And, like, I get it. There's something, I think, for a lot of people about the living room experience. The couch, the entertainment center thing. You can run it through your living room. I've seen it done. Yeah, you technically can run a PC in your living Make room. Make it happen. But I think that most people like kind of the, the plug and play. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to just pop something in your console and it, it works. As opposed to, like, having to maybe <coughs> but then you still, fight with but your then PC. You want comfort, but then you also still want everything. You want, like, 
perfect performance. But I mean, once you achieve a, a PC rig that can run at 4K, it just always will. Like it, your PC doesn't just stop being able to perform at the level it performs. It'll always be able to do it. And then you have the all the onus is on you to upgrade it to the next tier of specs yeah. when that time comes. But you don't have to. And when games are made for PC, you know, they have a very wide range of like performances they can run at. I mean, I've always liked the modularity of the PC platform. Like the not just the modularity in parts, but the modularity in like most games have sliders and like mm-hmm. settings you can turn on and off. Usually they'll like limit those a bit more in console just because like little Jimmy's not gonna know what the hell he's doing. But and so they just want to kind of be like, okay, we just have this, like, we'll give you, like, a performance mode and, a, like, a quality mode, and the, those are your two choices. I think that simplicity is good for the average kind of buyer to have, but um, I think if you're a tinkerer, then you probably already were playing on PC, so. And I feel like even if you're not a tinkerer, there's a nerd who will, like, upgrade your PC for you for a price. Yeah, or not. Some of them are so enthusiastic. They just that's true. There are there are the if you got one of those, hold hold them close. Yes, because there's there's some grifters out there that be hooking up my dad's computers, and I'm just mad, just mad. I'm like, Dad, stop paying these people. So that's your PS5 Slim. He doesn't Um, watch the pod, but I'm telling him to stop paying these people. Yeah, I don't think it's something I would buy. I hope they can make like a PS5S or something, like a like a small like a. Can you want them to use Microsoft branding or whatever? I don't know whatever they would call I think it. Like burn you at the stake for that. Well, just a, something that's like a three hundred dollar one. And it's like seventy percent of the performance or something. I don't know. Okay, so you want like an, an economy PS5? Yeah, a poor man's. That's fair. No, no. I mean, I know like the the Series S already comes you under a lot of fire. You could just have a PS4. But... Is all I'm saying. I guess, yeah, some would say the PS4 Pro is that. Like, a lot of games on PS5 are also on the PS4. Though lately I've noticed more games are being made exclusively for PS5. Yeah, they're now. finally beginning to do that. But, like, you know, last year and before, you know, yeah, every wasn't, wasn't PS4 the case. and 5. So, um, yeah, that's PS5 Slim. I mean, you know, I'm, I wasn't going to buy it either way. I thought it might be of, of interest to some listeners. However, you can pick one up. Speaking of gaming, this jumps off of uh, a story from last week or the week before. Remember that Unity thing? Oh, yeah, I do. So the CEO of Unity uh, has stepped down. Uh, and oh. forcibly so. Um, oh, forcibly so? Yeah, yeah. The, U- Unity was They like, were all like, okay, get because out. Because of the, all the, like, the bad press and this was the CEO's call. They're, they were, they're the one that, you know, the buck stops the CEO. Um, Unity, Unity announced that John Richie 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 Tiello guys this is I, if anyway. you could read this you would not hold against <laughs> me that John the company's president chief executive officer chairman and board directors member would retire from all of his roles now the announcement did not uh, mention the pricing controversy that clearly started all of this but they did say they're beginning a comprehensive search process for a new ceo so um, they did not like the sheer amount of negative publicity that that decision got or they didn't like that and they didn't like all the users who were refusing to use the platform going forward yeah, sounds to me then like maybe it was his initiative to push in the first place like I mean, and even if it wasn't i mean 
He's the CEO. All decisions have to cross your desk. Yeah, so uh, a bit of an update for people who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, I didn't understand the situation all that well, but the gist was that Unity, which is like a development sort of platform for games, Mm -hmm. um, was kind of trying out a new monetization structure that would charge any game that that ran on Unity to be charged like per installation of the game, at least past a certain amount. And um, a certain amount of installations. And so that was very controversial because there are a lot of like free or maybe freemium games or just fan projects all made on Unity and they would suddenly have to pay a lot more money. And this was like outside of just the cost of your license that you might buy to develop on Unity. And so you can see where the controversy kind of came in. It was basically a pricing structure that scaled with the uh, scale of the game. The more popular the game was, the more you would pay. But that, but just because a game is popular doesn't mean it's bringing in the mad bucks. Yeah, here. lots of money. I and mean, some games are literally free. So yeah. there's plus there are other little small things like, well, what happens if somebody like uninstalls the game and installs it again later? Like, do it's I still have to install. pay for that? And did I? And so they were kind of uh, ambiguous on whether or not like, exactly how that would work. So people hate it. Yeah. So and now they're looking for a new CEO. Well, hopefully they find them. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, you know, I haven't, you know, I, you know. You know, I, yeah, Alec, is he's right here. Yeah. What I was going to say, actually, is I found out I think Master Duel runs on Unity. Somebody informed me. I don't know if that's true. So I'm about to, I'm about to go uninstall and reinstall. Yeah, I just charge Konami, yeah. Run it up, run it up. Yeah. Y'all make me pay for gems, I'll make you pay for this game. <laughs> yeah, so that's what, no, I mean, I, I heard I, that. I don't know if that's, like, true. I'm, I'm, sounds believable, but. Yeah, a lot of stuff runs on Unity. I wouldn't be surprised. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess he's out of here. Gone. I heard they walked back some of those policies, too. Probably. Probably for the best. Yeah, I hadn't kept up with the story, but, um, yeah, any other stories? Well, this one isn't strictly AI-related, but it's... Equally terrifying? Sure. It's, it's certainly interesting. Okay. <clears throat> A Japanese robot manufacturer wants to make owning a transformable mecha suit highly feasible if you can spare $3 million. Okay. The wait time of 12 to 18 months from the time of order sounds agonizing, but having it eventually is way better than not. Is is there a weird mecha-like transforming suit that you can wear? So this is Subame Industries. They made a transforming uh, mecha suit. It has a like a robot mode where it walks and a kind of traversal mode where it rolls. Not it's not bipedal. It has like it's it's a quadruped. I actually can show you the pictures, Paul. So you so you can at least see what I'm talking about. This guy. Ah, okay. I'll try to remember to include that when I'm editing. So it's four point five meters tall. Four wheels. It's called Archax or Arcax. I don't know if the H is silent. Uh, they say it looks like a Gundam. It definitely does not. I'm so sick of people calling every robot a Gundam. It's not. Right. right. Okay. It's not. But um, <laughs> Japanese companies are wild. They see you know, they they want to make good on all the promises that anime have given us, and they were like, hey. Why not make a robot if we can? So, they the article goes into saying this agile mecha 
can move forward on two wheels and turn into a vehicle depending on the terrain. The robot is loaded with sensors and nine cameras so that the pilot can maneuver it from inside the cockpit, loaded with four display screens, and it even has air conditioning. I mean, at least it seems kind of uh, cozy. Ish. Or, I mean, not co- cozy is maybe not a word. Livable. Mm, not livable. Comfortable? Mm. In the vehicle mode, it can reach speeds of up to six miles per hour. Yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> six miles. This sounds like very, you know, first generation tech. But this is in Japan? Yeah. Okay. The real F mecha has movable arms and legs that can be is controlled it out via yet? joystick. Or like coming out. I think yeah, I think you can order right now. It'll take an, it'll take a year and then Wait, so how much is it again? Three mil. Three million like yen or No, no, it's dollars. Three million oh okay. No, you wish it was three million yen. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah, so uh You yeah. buying one? For th- got got three mil? I mean no, but you do. <laughs> yeah, I well, it's okay. it's if, fun niche rich people stuff. I would say this: if I had three mil, like if I won the lottery literally tomorrow, You'd buy I'd it. buy one immediately. Wow. Okay, it would be useless because uh, what this article does not mention is any feasible use for the dang thing. I, I don't. Yeah, I see. What I was gonna say is, I remember like when Elon Musk and like Tesla showed off the the little five foot eight like person like it was like a, a robot oh, that I can like that do one. i don't remember what the hell it was called but it was apparently like meant to kind of just do sort of repetitive mundane tasks and it was like humanoid like human size and shape and height mm. and everything so it was supposed to kind of maybe feel more like blend in more as opposed to maybe this mecha suit here's the question though unrelated to the mecha thing but if you had like kind of a, a robot assistant like kind of thing would you want it to be like in humanoid form where like it's like kind of got legs, arms, a head and like it maybe can talk it's like or would you be tall or what are we talking? It's like this one was five foot eight. Okay. So it's, it's a normal. Okay. But would you want that or would you want like a, like a machine type of thing? Like what like we saw here. Or, or, or even like just like, do you want it to be a human or do you want it to be like an object? Uh, Which makes you more or less comfortable? I well, making it human-like would definitely make me more uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, okay. Uh, mach- robots are machines, and machines are tools. Yeah, and they should always be. So they should look such. more like a tool, not like a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I think so too. I don't think I would want like a because I just feel like if it was like humanoid, it's like walking around in my house. The uh, <laughs> just, you know, you know, Gundam. It didn't invent, but it popularized the whole like bipedal human-ish kind of robot thing. Yeah. Suit thing. But uh, there was actually an anime. Uh, I don't think you saw this one, Paul. If I remember correctly, it was called Heavy Object. And I'm going to show you a picture of what they, uh, their robots, what they looked like. I think Heavy Object was the most realistic idea of what, if we had giant robots, of how they would look. Gosh, made of clay or something? No, no, no. no this, they're made of metal. Okay. So, oh yeah, this is like this is a bunch. Yeah, here we go. Heavy object. Oh, it's just a giant like sphere with like antennas and spikes. Oh, and those gears aren't antennas. And those, are, those are guns. Oh, 
Yeah, that sounds like what a human would make. <laughs> just giant piece of metal with guns pointing from every direction. <laughs> that checks out. I I mean, I don't know. I, I When I think about how, like, I want futuristic kind of robotic assistants to be, I want them to just still be, like, tools. And I think I wouldn't want to walk around in armor. I just don't think I would want to. Like, what would be, like... Because they, they, they still haven't given, like, a use case for the piece of armor. Or for the armor suit. I mean, like... Then the military has their like robotic exoskeletons. They're more uh, function than form. I mean, they help soldiers move like faster and yeah. lift heavier objects. Those are those have a very strong function, but they're not robots. You can look at the spot robot, the little patrol dog. Yeah, the spot thing. dog. I mean, they make like, those things dance now. I've like, seen that. I think that's a perfect example of. Um, they made a robot that has a use. The spot robot has a use. We just don't need it. Well. Like, oh, it can't fall down. Or if it falls down, it always picks itself up. It'll stabilize itself. It can, like, follow someone. And, like, <laughs> like yeah, I get it. It's just. <laughs> well, there's mostly really for, like, it? carrying things, like heavy loads. And they can rescue people or, like, help to kind of so can survey areas. And so. It's like, I don't. Spot has uses. We just, I don't think humanity needs it right now. I mean, certainly not for the price. And the Subame Industries uh, robot, maybe they do have uses like in mind for it. But at six miles an hour, I can't think of a single thing it can do for me. (laughs) It can chase you. At six miles an hour? It could chase you at six miles an hour. If I'm on foot, yeah. Yeah. If I get in the car. <laughs> yeah, you in the car, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, if I have the worst matchup possible, me on the ground versus this thing. Um, okay, well, I guess is it time to draw some cards? Yeah, I'm down. It's time to look into the pot Time of to draw two from the pot of green. We've got questions for our last community tab post, but we will be making a new post this week. I'll go ahead and just draw both of mine so it. I... So I have them here. Yeah, we need a refresh on questions, guys. Yeah, we will certainly be asking. Make sure you're subscribed to APS Amplifier. Okay, I got... Oh, okay, I got two. All right. Okay. Uh, My first one isn't even a question. What is it? It says, hot take. Synchros ruined Yu-Gi-Oh. No. I don't think so. I mean, I, I really don't. Like... I completely disagree with this statement, but I will say some of the cards made during the synchro synchro era, uh, they they put Yu Gi Oh on a timer. I think. Really, like what? Uh, when we talked about it before, like uh, emergency teleport. Oh yeah, I guess the concept of um. Which actually, it wasn't even made necessarily during the synchro. Era. No, it was. It, it like released with them. Oh okay, never mind. Then. Yes. Yeah, because it was in the Duelist Genesis. Uh, I mean, I think, okay, let's give the question some nuance then. Yes. I think synchros, in order to make them work, Konami did have to introduce some elements that were not maybe present in Yu-Gi-Oh! before. Mm -hmm. And so emergency teleport is a kind of extreme example of one of those elements, which is you got to get two monsters in the field to synchro summon. Yeah. And normally that wouldn't be like the biggest deal. But it means you can't really synchro summon in like one turn. Because mm-hmm. on your first turn, you'll normal summon something and then you'll have to end. So in order to kind of facilitate, you know, synchro summoning 
quickly or more readily or whatever, or like synchro summoning up and all that, they had to make things that like let you get a monster from the grave, whether that's like, you know, junk synchron, debris dragon, or maybe something that like lets you have an extra normal summon that could be playing double summon or there could be other cards that do it. Um, and at the time, I think actually Monster Reborn was banned or had like just been banned or was about to be banned sometime around that, that kind of 2008-9 era. So like they had to give stuff. And so you do see cards like Emergency Teleport that within the Synchro era was a certainly a very good card, but not like a broken one. That, that's it. Agree. We can, but we've used it. Lately. has now maybe come to turn into one with the advent of like stuff like Lynx because now you can... Or like like I even Psychic think of... Wielder. Yeah, because I think of like the cards that you could get with Emergency Teleport back then might have been Krebens or Psychic Commander. Level 2 tuner, level 3 tuner, but in terms of what they can do for you on the field, not much in Very your turn. Limited. But like now, you can get like a punk monster and it can start a combo. And uh, I like to think about, um, yeah, think about what was going on in Yu Gi Oh when they introduced Synchros. So we're leaving the GX era, the fusion era, you might call it. But how successful was the fusion mechanic? Because it was already, it already existed in the game before GX came out. But when when the Duelist Genesis came out, how prolific were fusion monsters really? Yeah, they weren't. I mean, there's one relevant fusion archetype, I would say, at that time. There's a gladiator beast. And, uh, and they were kind of like cheating the system. So like, With that in mind, I think they had to do a little something extra. Because yep. you couldn't introduce a worse mechanic than fusion, right? Yeah, it's got to be better. It has to be better. But, like... It has to be controlled in some certain in some way. I mean, the few the synchros we got when they first came out were bad. Well, I mean, there were good ones, I mean, but okay, there were good ones. But they were certainly more limited than like what you'll see in a synchro later on. So it's the um, but I don't think they ruined anything. They, I don't think they did. If I think if anything ruined Yu Gi Oh, if we if we want to like. Claim, make that claim. I would. I would blame monarchs. Uh, I don't even think they ruined it. I think they just they elevated like tribute summoning. But I think they did. They did it way too well for their time. You'd say monarchs kind of murdered because they kind of murdered the two tribute summon. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's definitely and true. Then, I think that's yeah. If you were ever gonna summon like a larger monster. Why would I be setting up this fusion summon with my three cards when I could be tributing summoning one for yeah. Caius? So I think maybe ruined isn't the word though. And I think that yeah, they just ruined. I was just using ruined because that was in the prompt. But um, now here is maybe the more hot take is I don't think Synchros did it, nor did Xyz. I think Pendulums ruined Yu-Gi-Oh in the sense that they drew, drove a lot of people off. I don't think that Pendulums like they didn't drive me off. I don't care. But I'm just saying that I when I, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, how there are people who drop off at every, like, reboot. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, Pendulums were probably the first time that you majorly saw people be like, I don't get this. I don't like this. I'm done. I wonder which one was more, like, caused more fall off or was more divisive. Pendulums or links? Pendulums. In my anecdotal kind of just observations, when I've talked to people, it sounds like it's Pendulum. I think that for most people, links were... Bad too, like icing on the cake sort of, but I, I think that like a lot of people just, what the hell, these monsters are spells now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and let me be clear, I'm not saying I do not like pendulums, I'm saying that that's just the perspective of 
that you hear from a lot of people who quit at that time. Right. I'm not saying they're right to do so, but that's what they did. So Paul says they're um, right. Paul says he would have quit if he wasn't yeah. YouTubing. That's crazy. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't think to answer the question though. No, I don't think Synchros. Did you go in? I think plenty right. of other what things have. Got? What's your question? Do you think some products are over or underprinted on purpose? This person asks. So I remember when I read this prompt, actually, on the comments, they kind of listed examples about how, like, Pokemon 151 or Lacana stuff is, like, hard to get right now, but you'll always find, like, legendary duelists, duels from the deep on some random shelves today and, like, mm. even Soul Burning Volcano. So we're not limited to Yu-Gi-Oh! in this prompt? Based on what they said, no. Okay. Although we could, like... Maybe limit it to Yu-Gi-Oh! if we wanted. Because I think Yu-Gi-Oh! products seem like they're largely printed about the same across the board. Outside, Like, well, that's probably a lie. I think certain Yu-Gi-Oh! products do not get, like, super long-run prints. Like, um, the Ghost from the Past, the Maxim Golds. Those sort of sets, definitely not. But I think that's because they're not expected to sell many copies over time. But yeah, the mainline sets seem pretty consistent. The legendary duelist sets seem like they're just the same as the mainline sets. You probably mm-hmm. see more on shelves, but I think that's because, because they're just less popular. Yeah, less demand for them. They're a lot like the um, the deck builder sets too, where what sort of happens is they uh, you buy them to build like one of the three decks in them. If you don't want to build any of those three decks, there is nothing in this product for you. Oh, barring maybe them. like a single re- yeah that's what I was going to say next barring maybe a, say, maybe a single reprint right and then once you have built those decks there is nothing to come back to those products for in most cases so unlike maybe you know I might want to come back to some set because it's got like Pot of Prosperity or Triple Tactics Thrust or you know, Access Code or some generic thing no yeah I mean just, there's not much else to get out no. of Soul Burning Volcano Ooh. You know, in Age of Opalord, we're getting a new Ogdotic card. You think that'll uh, finally push some more copies of, uh, was that, Genesis Impact? Off Ancient shelves? Guardians, I think, Ancient is Ogdotic. Guardians, I get them confused. There's a lot, I know. <laughs> you think it'll push a few more off the shelf? Yeah, right. You know, like, oh, I gotta go get those old o- Ogdotic cards. It would, but I think they reprinted Ogdotic now in, like, a Mega Tin or something. Oh, never mind. It's that might be wrong. I don't cook, know. Yo. I mean, yeah, I think, like, Konami maybe could afford to print less of them. But I don't want to say that because, like, I think the moment that that happens, prices will just like spike up somehow. So, just I'm from my conversations with like shop owners, I'm fairly certain that Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty uniform about how they print products. It's just yeah, they print as many as they think sell, but that's like there's not a lot of variance. There's to it. not a lot of variance there. Is mm-hmm. I think for Yu-Gi-Oh, it's all demand, and honestly, I think that's true for. Probably Most every games. card game. Because yep. why would you ever print less than what you, than think, you think you can, you can sell. sell? Yeah. I mean, there's a few cases where like the manufactured scarcity thing is real. Like, mm. if you think about maybe the Platinum Dark Magician, they definitely are like, okay, we're going to only have a 1,000 where they sell out or not. But I wouldn't count that as like a product. But that's not really it. Yeah, it's not that's exactly a, a product. I mean, <laughs> novelty. It's something. It's for a collector. Scam stands for super cool, awesome merch. I saved you. You owe me. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I'm not a big Platinum Dark Mission fan. But the point is, there's a few cases where a company might, like, make, like, kind of an X amount of things or, like, made-to-order sort of things. But generally, yeah, I think you just make however many you think you can sell. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that in Yu-Gi-Oh!'s case that they're, like, 
choosing to overprint these products. I think that they're just the products aren't selling. Right. Maybe the onus is more on a car shop owner to know your community and its demands well, so you don't overorder. Unlike Duels from the Deep or Soul Burning Volcano. I mean, I think that's fair. But as we've learned, at least for Yu Gi Oh, it's kinda, not always that easy. You kind of can't. Whatever yeah. your shop orders, however many they order, Kadami in the future will give them that amount again. So if they decrease their order for one set, they're going yeah, to they get might not be able to get the less. Next. Well, the small correction there, it's not Konami. It's actually the vendors oh, who make true. those decisions. That's because true. Konami, for some reason, uses middlemen vendors to get yeah. stuff to card shops, which I think is a system that kind of needs to just go. It's a little archaic, y'all. But uh, it's neither here nor there. All right. I got, a, I got one. I got one. I got one. What almost made you drop Yu-Gi-Oh! as a card game? Oh. What almost made me drop? Like so, like an in-game kind of event or change or maybe even a real-life thing. So that that would mean me like purposely choosing I don't want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore. It's not a matter of I just kind of stop playing as I like my interest just change. I have to like choose not to. Like I don't want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore. That's the question here, right? Yeah. So I don't think there's ever been a thing that Yu-Gi-Oh has done. Like I don't like I'm not one of those people where like oh my god Pendulum scared me away or Xyz scared me. Like I, that stuff doesn't ever really bother me. I, I try it out. I learn it. I'm fine with that. So okay, here's a question, and this might say more about me than anyone else. Um, how do you? Oh, you might want to come closer to the mic. Oh my bad. Ow. Been Ow. leaning back more and more. How do you? Drop Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, it's a tough um, game to drop. Quitting it isn't that. I know that makes me sound like a huge addict, but what I mean is, um, like if I stopped buying Yu-Gi-Oh cards today, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that what if someone wants to play Yu-Gi-Oh with me that I would be like, oh no, I don't. I'm just gonna pretend like I don't have like seven decks to play with you. I mean, I think that um, it's sort of a you know separate question but to answer it from my perspective is like a dropping Yu-Gi-Oh is very difficult i think that like fully dropping it is difficult you hear plenty of people who will say i'm taking a break or plenty of people who will say quitting but quitting really means i'm selling everything except my favorite decks or i'm selling everything except my staples you know that kind of thing so i think if one want going by those definitions if one wanted to truly quit Yu-Gi-Oh, you have to Fully sell it all. You get rid of everything and just divest and from the game. Divest completely. Probably move. Like, I actually... <laughs> well, because if, you, if you're... Changing locations because of Yu-Gi-Oh! Is well, yeah. Crazy. Well, because here's... The, well, not to, say, not to say because of Yu-Gi-Oh! If you had to move for work, that could be the cause. The reason wow. I say it is because, like, within your local community, like, you've probably made friends at your card shop who have become more than just the card game people. They might actually just be your friends. Which means, though, that you can't hang out with John because he's going to be talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! all the time. So if your goal is to quit Yu-Gi-Oh!, then I guess you have to completely, like, excommunicate John. But, like, that's so not to really... to Yu-Gi-Oh!, you have to end friendships. So, well, you have to just... You have to really remove yourself from it, I would think. Now, it's not that you can't be friends with people without, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! being a factor, but they're going to ask you to come to the card shop. They're going to keep you posted on mm-hmm. things. You're going to eventually probably break and cave because they just released support for Medulce again or something. You like that. So I think like, yeah, you gotta like literally be like, okay, you got some million dollar job offer like ten states away, and you've sold all your other stuff, and you're gonna be in a completely different place. And even then, like you might still use Yu Gi Oh 
as a way of moving into the new place. Like, where's the it's local like, shop? So I, I've ne- I don't think I've ever. Yeah, another question is asking like, what almost made me do it, but nothing has ever made me want to do any of those things. The closest I've come is I had to sell a lot of my collection at a time to like pay for something. I don't remember what it was. You're not getting sympathy from me, Paul. I'm but, not doing it. I'm not shedding a tear. <laughs> but even then, I mean, it didn't make me want to quit. I just, I think I was doing it more by necessity. So, uh, and I still didn't make me quit. I mean, I, I certainly don't play as much paper Yu-Gi-Oh, but I, I mean, as you guys know, I still like, I'm talking about it. I'm still opening products. I'm still like playing Master Duel. So like, had I been in a situation where I needed money in the times where, uh, like in the past, Selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards wouldn't have helped me at all. My cards were all worthless. Yeah, I guess if you have a very liquid collection and you just have a debt to pay off that it's you like, could theoretically just. But you'll then, but you'll have cards that are worth nothing. Yeah, you'll keep mean? them, and then so it's like, I don't know. That's why I say like, that's, I'm. You think it's you hard to find that situation? Yu-Gi-Oh, really? I mean, I, I've met people who have dropped Yu-Gi-Oh, so clearly you can. But did they really? So, uh, this question got just so much deeper than I think they anticipated, but that's good. What I was going to say is I think that you quit Yu-Gi-Oh! the way that it's, you don't get to kind of declare that you are. I don't think it gets to be a conscious thing. I think that you quit Yu-Gi-Oh! like kind of the whole one day at a time thing. So Mm. it's like if I tell you like, I'm going to do this thing that almost makes it not really happen. It has to be that it just gradually leaves your life and you're not even really noticing that it is. You're getting busier. You're getting, like, you know, it's like where it just slips away from you. But that doesn't get to be like a decision you made. It's kind of more like you just... You just kind of moved away from it. You just moved away from it and it just wasn't able to engage you often enough. And so you eventually find yourself five years down the line. Oh, I just kind of, oh, I guess I stopped playing back in then. I mean, because, yeah, when I was a kid, I had multiple periods where I stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh! But that wasn't because I was like, one day, I am not playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. any longer! It was just, I just didn't have situations it to just play happens. the game. It happens usually when you're growing up, and it can happen again in adulthood. Maybe you, you can move or something. You can move, you get married, like all kinds of different things. So. But now we have Master Duel and Duel Links, like, and we have these uh, allegedly uh, illegal online simulators to play. Uh, we have so many ways to play Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's, it's, it's can, tough to get away from it, I would think. I don't know if you really can escape. Sounds a little dark. Well, here's the last question. What TCG would you recommend to a beginner? What TCG? Just straight up card game? Oh, okay. I mean, I guess I'm supposed to say Yu-Gi-Oh, but honestly, I would just I, tell people, play Pokemon I, and be done with it. Arcana. Oh, they can't get the cards right now. <laughs> play Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, like, play Pokemon and be done with it. I, I mean, because you already know what Pokemon is. You already have your favorites. And the, the game is, like, drop-dead simple. And honestly, I'm not looking to play Yu-Gi-Oh! with children. Yeah, now, well, this is a beginner. Oh, that's true. It could be yeah. someone new. So. I'm not trying to play Yu-Gi-Oh! with a beginner. Wow. No, I, I think um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Now, if I had to recommend a Yu-Gi-Oh! product to a beginner, play Speed Duel or Duel Links. Don't get yourself... I would play Speed Duel with a beginner. I like Yeah, I think Speed Duel, Duel Links. Mm, I don't want to say outright, like, don't play the TCG. It's a nightmare. More like, if you are looking for, you know, a really intense, high-octane experience, 
Then the TCG could be like what you're looking for. I think that if you're a beginner that was starting with Speed Duel and maybe making the decision to play TCG later could be a better choice. Maybe start with like Dual Links in particular. Rush Duel could be a great it's like option. It's kind of like this. If what if Yu-Gi-Oh was a set of weights, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like a gym. And you had a beginner friend who wants to get into like weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Do you pick up the 90 pound like dumbbell that is the TCG and you put that in their hand? It's like, yeah, there's a chance that they actually could lift it. But why even take that risk? Yeah, I when feel, you can yeah. pick up the light little speed dual weight and put that in their hand, like and even if it's way too something. easy, it's, it's still safe, enjoyable, it's, and they yeah. can work their way up to the TCG if they want or if they're able to, instead of possibly ruining them by dropping the TCG on them immediately because it's not for everybody. Yeah, I think uh, so. To answer the question of all TCGs, I'd say just play Pokemon, and be Pokemon. done. And maybe one of kind of cheap. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess the common answer most people say is, like, Magic. But I'd say Pokemon because I like Pokemon more. Um, of all the TCG, like, of the Yu-Gi-Oh! specific TCG things, yeah, Speed Duel, Rush Duel. Yeah. At one point, my answer would have been Magic because I, w- I would have said Magic teaches you all the uh, the fundamentals of card gaming. But I've heard that sentiment. You can yeah. play as much Magic as you want. It will not prepare you for Yu-Gi-Oh! Someone in the comments begs to differ, I'm sure. Like, modern-day Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic could not be more different. I, th- I think if t- jumping from Magic the Gathering to modern-day Yu-Gi-Oh! I think is a probably frustrating experience. Just because a lot of core tenets of that game, does we just kind of laugh at. Yeah. Well, at any rate, I mean, it's a good question. It's certainly one that I have found myself in that situation of having to recommend something to somebody. And I usually just go with the Yu-Gi-Oh! answer of like, yeah, play Yu-Gi-Oh! But like played maybe Duel Links. But I think if I was like trying to be completely objective, I'd say play Pokemon and be done. Yeah, beginner-friendly game. You know, I'd say play Digimon. Uh, I guess that's true. Resurgence Booster just came out. Reprints galore. And we got new starter decks. All right, well, I would like to, before the podcast ends, I actually have a special little thing I wanted to read. So, as you guys know, the Pot of it's Greed... It's definitely not a Yu-Gi-Oh card, clearly. Yeah, it's not. Um, uh, the the Pot of Greed is available on a lot of different podcast platforms. So, whether you watch it here on YouTube or on, like, Apple Music or, sorry, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those places. I think it's on Amazon as well. You can leave us ratings. And we actually do have a number of ratings and reviews from people that have given us, like, five stars or whatever. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's our, 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 our rating on Apple Podcast right now is five stars. We have 13 oh. ratings. Okay, that means everyone on there is like this. And I wanted to read a review. This is actually from back in May, so maybe you guys can go in and leave some more new reviews. But um, Watch it drop down to, like, a three. <laughs> There's a person named Noah. He says it is fun, accessible, and informative. Great pod from some knowledgeable and pleasant people. I'm not a TCG player, but I love the conversations are totally accessible and welcoming without the need for background research. I can't wait to see where this goes. Also, sub to their YouTube channels. Everything these guys are putting out is quality. So that kind of uh, warmed my heart. In a world where things are cold and dark. How did Noah find this podcast so they don't play TCGs? Good question. I mean, we're listed on these sites, so I know that, like, you can search or maybe just like gaming or something we might come up. But yeah, if you guys listen to us on any of the different podcast platforms and you'd like 
please leave a review. We'd much appreciate it. It's like, review bomb us. No, don't review bomb us. Yeah, anyways, I guess that's it for this week's Pod of Greed, huh? Yeah. Uh, good pod. Good pod. Next week is the 25th, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. So we're going to do something special. Yeah, It'll we'll, be quarter century. Yeah, we'll, it will bring some sort of a quarter century type of thing. There might be a giveaway. It might be something different. We'll Maybe see. Maybe we'll do the pod thought about that too we'll see if we can i don't know given our current setup i'm not sure if that's gonna work out. yeah well we're, we have some uh thanks for watching guys we'll see you in the next one past, past turn, turn.